You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Iraq, the summer of 2003. The deafening rain of recent airstrikes could still seemingly be heard in the ears of young American troops as they infiltrated the now bombed out compound of the Green Palace, formerly the playground of the Hussein regime, now reduced to massive piles of concrete rubble. The dense green foliage of the site seemed unnatural to the young men who found themselves in a lush Eden, surrounded by the harsh landscape of the rest of the Middle East. It was seemingly a former paradise, its palm groves still standing tall, a place that was dangerous yet quiet, until something unexplainable would emerge from the shadows of night. An inexplicable encounter with an entity that should not exist. A humanoid creature dubbed the Tartar Monster, which has lived in the shadows until now. Join us on Into the Portal for our first ever exclusive story recounted by the very U.S. serviceman who witnessed it, which sends us on a strange investigation into entities of the region that may in fact be the monster of Lake Tartar. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome back to Monstrous Military Encounters, part four. Part four. On into the portal. Yeah. Ooh, we're here. Who would have thought that we would end up with a part four? This turned into like a Dogman series. It actually did in one of the best ways possible because we got to explore so many different avenues of this topic. Definitely. And this last one, which it is the last one. It is. mm -hmm, It is. Is definitely not, it's kind of like the, the... for me, it's almost like a pinnacle because it's yeah. like it's so foreign. It's very intriguing in that sense, but it's also very modern too. Yes. So we're we're yeah we're talking about some pretty contemporary stuff. It's the most recent out of any of the stories we've talked about so far in this series. Mm-hmm. Even going back to the first episode with the uh, some of the stuff in the in the eighties, I think we talked about right with werewolf encounters. Exactly. Yeah, which makes me so much more excited because this came to us out of nowhere it came out of the woodwork from two very reputable sources i'll say yes and um and it's just it's really exciting because for me when we're, we're sharing this on a larger platform than they've ever shared before yeah. so for me i'm just excited to see if we can even get anyone else to be like oh my gosh like actually hey like hand up like i've actually had a similar thing too like you know what i mean and who knows connect some dots even potentially but this is just Incredible because we actually, for the first time ever on Into the Portal, we had a first hand account sent into us from actual 
U.S. Forces members um, who were active at the time of their encounter yes. and actually still are. One of them is working in civilian and one is actually active in the military side of it still. But I honestly, I was just floored that they... I'm just honored that they would share this with us. Absolutely. And that we're able to share it with all of our listeners. Yes. Me too. I, I yeah, no, it was uh it was a bit of a surprise when we got the the message, honestly, because yeah, like Amber said, this is the first time we've had such a detailed like first time we've had a, a forces member reach out and the first time we've had a story that was this detailed. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and obviously just really personal because this was while on active duty, which is yeah. pretty extreme. Exactly. Uh, so we're sticking to first names for this yes. episode for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep it anonymous to a certain degree. Of course. Mm-hmm. But we still wanted to give a, a big shout out and thanks to uh, both Mark and Dennis for coming forward to share this account. Because, yes, like Amber said, this is uncharted territory for Into the Portal in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were first approached by Mark with this story, like, truly unlike anything we've dealt with before because of the location, right? Like, we've done research in this area before the Middle East, it, but more f- so for, like, ancient history stuff, right? Like, I'm even thinking back to King Solomon and stuff like that, right? But this mm-hmm. is obviously completely different. So it's an area that we're unfamiliar with, especially for sightings of what we're getting into today. Um Yes, which are for the most part, you know, saved for the dense woodlands and definitely vastly different parts of the world. So that's why this is really exciting, because what we have here today defies much of what we've come to believe with creatures of the unknown that we've looked into before on this show. Mm-hmm. So so this yeah. actually happened while they were deployed overseas in Iraq. Yes. This happened in 2003 in the summertime. And do you want to give some stats on our location there, Andrew? Well, I mean, <laughs> some stats. Yeah, so this <laughs> this took place uh, right at the Lake Tartar Dam, uh, about 127 kilometers north of Baghdad, and uh, definitely one of the um, most active areas at this time in the early 2000s, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, so this actually happened during, like, you know, like the first wave of uh, basically, like, the ground invasion of Iraq. And so this was like, they were basically in this place... Where let's let's try and give a, a vibe to where we're going here because basically they're walking into a completely bombed out, completely void of infrastructure yes. area, right? Because of the um, the bombings that occurred before, obviously they yeah. pursued with their ground forces. It was rough out there, it's you know, like rough. It's hot. Yes. Yeah. So like, we ended up speaking, obviously, like we had a little video chat to with, with these two guys as well. And like, yeah, that was interesting to get the context because it's like, I mean, obviously we assumed it's hot, but damn. I mean, he was describing some interesting things we'd never heard before, for sure. Like how, you know, he would be, they'd be so hot. They'd be like just soaked through their, their gear to the point where they have sweat stains. But some of the locals thought that the sweat stains were actually like cooling strips. They thought it was like, um, that were like advanced, like military gear, but it's just like, you're so damn hot. You've sweat through everything like instantly. Like ice armor is what I'm picturing where the condensation is like accumulating on the parts where it can. And then like, basically they think that they're being like cooled, but they're actually like roasting from the inside out. And obviously finding water was obviously an, difficult thing that they had to deal with and and even finding food because like Mm -hmm. you said like not a lot of infrastructure so sometimes it'd be like damn we're gonna go off menu a little bit and we'd have to buy some local meat or whatever right oh yeah it's pretty pretty interesting stuff roughing it i'll say yeah and it's interesting too because this location like you said andrew so this is north of baghdad Mm -hmm. in uh this dam so lake tartar was actually a dam that was built mid-century and it was built to combat the flooding that was occurring downstream so basically it was artificially created from the uh, the euphrates if i'm not mistaken 
We can come back to that. But yeah, let's we can. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was that one. But basically, yeah, this was a very green area of, lush. of yeah lush and green uh we actually had the privilege of seeing several pictures of the base itself yeah. and there's palm trees there's all sorts of foliage and reeds and things like that yeah. fishing is actually a, a common activity there yeah before even during the hussein regime and things like that so mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those areas that is almost like its own little oasis or like a weird paradise in the middle of the absence of anything green, right, we'll say. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That that pretty much yeah, like that's the description to a T. And even to go back to the fishing the fishing comment there, like it's there's some weird ass fish in that lake, even though it's a man made lake. And that was another thing the the US troops were doing to pass the time. They'd mm-hmm. go fishing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, catch some really strange stuff. Probably not eating it, I don't think. I don't know. I, I wonder. We didn't actually get to that. I don't. Maybe. I can't remember. They were weird looking though, so maybe they, <laughs> I don't maybe. know. Maybe. And I'm pretty sure, Dennis did say that they were told not to swim in the water. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure why exactly, right. but I, I wouldn't ask twice. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> I think that's a perfect segue to just get into this because it's so weird <clears throat> and so awesome. So I, if you're ready, let's jump into it. Let's do that. So we're going to actually read um, the... The email that was sent to us from Mark on behalf of him and Dennis. And yeah, let's get into this. I just finished your second installment of Monstrous Military Encounters and felt compelled to share an event that happened to my colleague Dennis during our first combat deployment to Iraq in the summer of 2003. Our two platoons were tasked with guarding the Lake Tartar Dam near the city of Ramadi, Iraq. Small teams of four to five guys on Bradley fighting vehicles would guard each entrance to the road that ran across the dam, as well as key points to provide security for a former compound we used as a living area adjacent to the dam. This compound consisted of two large gutted buildings, the platoons made home, that were looted following the invasion. The remainder of the buildings were around 100 to 200 meters away and had been collapsed from precision bombing during the invasion. This area was at one time a lakeside resort for the Saddam Hussein and family and Ba'ath party loyalists. There was a large presidential palace not far from us, but not part of this compound. At dusk one evening, Dennis's team was posted at one of the guard positions overwatching the dam and living area when they noticed a lone individual on foot lurking nearby. Dennis was unsure whether this individual was a local civilian or one of our own soldiers wandering or pulling a prank. It is worth noting during this point in the war, the security situation was not great, but the insurgency was in its infancy and this area was rather remote and relatively secure. Here's a quote from Dennis. We were sitting up in the turret smoking and joking when I got nervous about the chem light that one of the guys had cracked. There was a small trail behind us that we used to bring the Bradley in from and I did not want the chem light illuminating us. So I grabbed it and threw it down the trail. At some point later, I had reached across the commander's station towards the gunner's station to grab a lighter, when from the corner of my eye, I noticed a shadowy figure in the road with the chem light. When we reached to it, whatever it was, dropped it and took off. This was when I made the original call, asking if someone was messing around because we were not convinced. We turned to the turret and scanned with thermals but saw nothing in the wood line. All went quiet for probably an hour or so before we heard movement back towards the chem light. Before we could even react, a hand reached out onto the road and grabbed the chem light. As I was radioing it in, we saw that the light was a good ways up from the ground, pumping back and forth as whatever had grabbed it was now running towards the cliff, chem light in one hand crashing through the trees. Then it disappeared, and my first thought was, 
Holy shit, these idiots just killed someone, as I still assumed it was a prank and whoever it was did not realize there was a cliff on the other side of the tree line. Before I could gather my thoughts to call this in, the gunner grabbed my shoulder and said something along the lines of, Holy shit, look. That was when whatever it was had now started climbing the cliff on the other side. And it did so with absolute ease. That cliff was probably a good 30 feet high and relatively flat from what I recall. Definitely not a dude. And bipedal, as it was running like a track athlete would holding a baton. This incident caused everyone in the compound to be awakened and gathered for a head count to ensure it wasn't any of our guys. The next day, Dennis told me the whole story, and he was adamant whatever it was, it was not a human. I've met several people in my army career that I would say were full of shit, but he is definitely not one of them. And that's how Mark finished off that message. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what do we have to think about that? Yeah, there's some stuff to break down. Break down there there's for sure. There's lots of stuff to break down. And obviously we're going to come back to a lot of this at the end in terms of, uh, of theories and, and providing some more context to this because this is what was originally sent to us. And then we had the privilege of actually speaking with Dennis mm -hmm. uh, and getting a little bit more context to it. But it's bizarre, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're out there at night. You know, he doesn't want to be seen, so they, they toss that chem light a little further down the trail. And yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. basically, let's cut, yeah, let's recap this and kind of go over what happened. So, yeah, like you said, that's a good place to start. Sure. So basically, Dennis and his, his partner, partner yeah. I guess at the time, yeah. So they're stationed together. And what they're doing is they're actually on top on the turret, as he describes, because right. <laughs> like we've already mentioned, really really hot yeah they were supposed so, to be down actually inside the vehicle but there's yeah. no ac yeah there, so right? basically so. yeah so they were up top and you have to drop down is what he said to actually get to the thermal vision mm -hmm. um so that was one aspect of it but basically so these guys are positioned on the top of the vehicle smoking and joking as he phrases it and he reaches for this chem light that he says was actually broken it was about halfway through its life already, so it yeah. wasn't the brightest it could possibly be. So basically, he takes it, chucks it down the path, yeah, and it sits there for about well, not an hour, sorry, it sits there for a little bit, I guess, yeah. and then that's when they notice the first rustling and all that. So basically, if you're looking at it, so they're looking out over the living area, and there's like it's almost like a triangle of people stationed around the base just mm -hmm. to keep it secure. So they're on the top is kind of what he described as, like almost like the high point. Yeah. So they have the best view. So basically they're viewing out towards the dam and this thing's behind them. Right. So that's kind of spooky if you think about it, right? So <laughs> obviously something's encroaching on your territory. Yeah. So it's actual real concern, whether it's a prank or something. And he kind of gets into how it doesn't really make sense that it was one of the locals because right. the locals stayed away. They knew how much risk they were taking if they were to go and, you know, taking something like a chem light is just not worth it. Not no, worth risking your life. Exactly. Like at this, at the, yeah, especially at this early stage. And like we said off the top, like this was still relatively remote mm -hmm. in some, in some respects. Right. Yeah. And so whether it was a prank from the inside, like someone just being a total goofball, that's an actual like member of like, yeah. that's a member of the same division mm -hmm. uh, there was that aspect but then potentially yeah like a local and that but yeah it just doesn't make sense obviously they did the head count after the fact wasn't any of their guys he mm -hmm. said this thing stood up really tall and that he could clearly see a hand so 
think of this. You're in the dark. There's an illuminated object. That's the chem light. You see the fingers, the four fingers reach around and grab it. He distinctly remembers seeing yes, that yes. and then seeing it get lifted off the ground. And he said the, the where it was positioned would, looked like it was about at least a six foot tall figure. At least. At least. Like it definitely human size, if not maybe even a little bit bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, we can come back to the aspects of the hand when we get down down to the end potentially as well. But that that is that to me is the most interesting thing. I mean, there's I mean, actually, though, I shouldn't <laughs> say that because this is all absolutely bizarre. But that's the closest yeah. point of contact that the most it, detail, the most detail mm-hmm. that um, that we have for this mm-hmm. creature, which is what I'm going to call it for now, because we definitely no aren't idea. leaning towards it being a, a man, which would which would be some sort of a, of a prank or superhuman man, or like, like a yeah, like a superhuman spy or whatever. But there's no reason mm-hmm. for that at this time, like where they were exactly. And um, so, so we'll, okay, yeah, okay. So let's backtrack even further into that because, like, basic. Could you just imagine? So you see something out of the corner of your eye. You're mm-hmm. in Iraq. You're in, like, you're in a war yeah, zone yeah. and you see that. So obviously you're thinking immediate security concern. If not, yeah, prank, whatever. But I would, uh, the hairs would be stacking up on the back of my, because oh, yeah. like he said, they wait, well, they didn't wait. They were on their watch. And it was about an hour after he heard that initial, initial rush, initial rustling. Sorry, guys, can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, could you imagine this thing might've been watching them the entire time? Yeah. And, and then the <laughs> question we're left with is why, why? because mm-hmm. it ends up grabbing a chem light and, and, and like, I'm just, tr- I'm picturing that like pumping, you know, like it's like, like running, the like the pumping of like a race, relay runner yeah. and then like, tick, 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 like super fast up a cliff face that would not easily be scaled. And, you know, we were having yeah. conversations after this was sent to us. We'll, again, we'll come down to this at the end, but it sounds distinctly like ape-like almost in mm-hmm. a way or yeah. something beyond. So oof, yeah. we'll get into that. Yeah. Cause the way, sorry, he, and he even described when I read out how this thing this cliff was 30 feet high and he says it's relatively flat so what he means by flat is like it's like a sheer cliff like 90 degrees essentially so you can't really unless you're like an extreme like cliff like you know like climber there's no way and not that fast no exactly yeah that's the really spooky part i mean even you know an extreme climber you gotta dust up the chalk on your hands and pick your spots and like make it happen like free climb or whatever yeah exactly this is at night as well so that reminds me of something that's like either lived in this environment for its entire life kind of thing and or is like maybe something spectral even like you know what i mean so we're already getting towards sorry i'm getting ahead of myself right getting ahead of myself you know like Mm -hmm. because there's the aspect of the light as well but we're, I digress. Let's yeah, do the a physical tini- object. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's do a tiny bit more context for this encounter, though, because we've talked a tiny bit about that. Right. Obviously, the whole pretext for this is like the early U.S. missions in Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction, or at least under that, that was sort of the, mm-hmm. the pretext, right? Humanitarian, humanitarian crisis. Yeah. Those are the cited reasons mm-hmm. for these bombing campaigns and then the ground invasion of Iraq. Um Mm-hmm. This obviously follows the beginning, like, this is the beginning. This is the U.S.-led military action in, Af- this, in, in Iraq after Afghanistan in mm-hmm. 2001 and obviously following 9-11. Basically, that's, yeah. That's, that's basically the quick summation of mm-hmm. the context for, for the, the actual U.S. troops station where they were at Lake Tartar. Exactly. It's just so funny. Even when you're looking into it again, it's just like it, all, it comes back so easily. You're like, oh, yeah, the weapons of mass destruction. The, like, you know, all the U.N. resolutions and all that yeah. back and forth with the sanctions and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, anyways, that was that was like, whoa, like just like brought me right back, like throwback Blast Thursday from, or something. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, I really was because it's like, 
Yeah, no. I mean, Saddam we were, in the we, hole. Yeah, <laughs> we were in like elementary school, I guess, when that happened. Yeah, like when Saddam. I, yeah, I, I remember that video. I remember that video. Yep. Parodied in many a cartoon mm-hmm. after that. Oh yeah. 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 So obviously, we're not going to get too much into detail about the wars and the, the Saddam regime, but because we're not experts on that by any means. But it is important to mention because the place that we're talking about today is one such facility that UN authorities were actually targeting as part of these uh, this resolution that was passed and these inspections that were conducted throughout Iraq. Yes. And they were targeting places like the Lake Tharthar, not the dam itself, but the compound surrounding it. Yeah. Because this was one of these sites that was actually identified as a potential site to hide these weapons of mass destruction. And uh, this compound was actually known as the Green Palace during the time of Saddam's reign, or the Palace of, I don't know if I'm going to butcher this, Marak el Tartar. And this was one of the most extensive complexes that was built during his regime. Yes. And this was, like, yeah, like, enjoyed by many people, many of his family members, including his son, Uday, which is a very notorious uh, Infamous person. figure, indeed. Yes, yes, very infamous indeed. And uh, he spent many times there um, doing a lot of fishing and things like that, like we've already mentioned off the bat, among yeah. many things. There was, like, competitions hosted and all this stuff, and, of course, he always came in first place. Oh, sure. Who would, <laughs> who would Sure, it's like Kim Jong finding the unicorn and shooting an 18 on an 18-hole course. Exactly. Yeah, one on every hole, why not? It makes he was sense. first in all of his of classes, course. apparently. Of course. Yeah, but it was also an extensive place of luxury, like we said, is kind of like a Garden of Eden or like the Gardens of Babylon where luxury um, activities were enjoyed by the VIPs of the government yes, and yeah. family members of the Husseins. So they were staying there, leisuring. And this was actually, according to the Federation of American Scientists, they had an article that was talking about um, the security threats that these sites actually presented to the world at the time. And they were talking about how there's actually a giant Ferris wheel there and a pendulum. And actually, Dennis did mention this too. It was obviously destroyed by the time they got there. But there was like a whole amusement park seemingly and things like that and a resort village including more than 100 condominiums. So this was actually from the FAS there. And they also go on to say it was a one-square-mile compound with 45 structures, including guest houses. And then there was also a nearby resort city that Saddam had actually built and celebrated his um, birthday in 1999. (laughs) It was filled with stadiums, like I said, an amusement park, hospitals, a new home. It was insane. Yeah. But then along with that, I actually pulled up this other bit here. It was an NBC article from one of the Iraqi construction engineers who worked on several of these palaces during the 80s. He actually lives in Washington now. But basically, he went on to talk about how, like, these were beyond, like, you know, places where weapons of mass destruction were hiding. Yeah. They were symbolizing ego and power. There was hundreds of them built all around the country just to secure the dynasty, right? You know what I mean? Of like course. the the history of it for future generations. <laughs> Uday famously said that the 21st century will not be American. Mm. Very sinister. But anyways, good good to see him dead in the ground. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really work out the way you planned, I guess. <laughs> no, it didn't at all. Uh, <laughs> nice yeah. try, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. But it's interesting too, because beyond all the opulence and luxury, there were there were also security apparatuses within right. these complexes, including training camps, um, depots for these weapons, like we already mentioned, prisons, torture chambers. Apparently, <laughs> that was one of Uday's famous um, pastimes. Was yeah, it just wasn't studying. just fishing. <laughs> 
<laughs> studying torture methods and improving upon them. Wow, what a what a guy. It's almost like that's so cliche. It's like, man, mm-hmm. you're a, you're the son of a dictator. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it just you know, it's just it's, it's it too cliche. cliche. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, man, it's been done to death. But I guess it just, history repeats itself. I suppose. But the whole point of all of this random ramblings, I guess, is just to paint a picture of how these places were multifaceted. And there's like, basically, in my mind, it's like Las Vegas. It's like anything Mm. goes. Anything that Uday or any of the Husseins wanted at their beck and call would have been presented to them. And I read a few articles here that were kind of just alluding to that in several regards. But basically... Oh, sorry, you have something to say there? Were you heading into a promo break? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say, it's like the Las Vegas of Iraq. Anything could be there or happen there, seemingly. Mm. So, could there be an unknown hominid species living in <laughs> that area? Hmm. Mm. We have so much to get into, so much conjecture. But before we do, let's just get into a quick promo break. Do you feel as though there are things in your life holding you back or that you could benefit from talking things out with a licensed professional counselor? BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health and connect with affordable therapists online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. BetterHelp.com is safe and private, allowing you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, BetterHelp.com is available on multiple platforms and across the globe, so you have the help you need wherever you find yourself. They make it easy to assess your individual needs and match you with a licensed counselor wherever you are in the world. Just check out the testimonials posted daily on their site by people just like you. You can get started right away and begin communicating with a specialized counselor within 24 hours of signing up. This isn't your dog or your best friend. This is a licensed professional that will communicate with you via weekly scheduled video or phone sessions. And BetterHelp.com allows you to send a message anytime you need to with timely and helpful responses in return. BetterHelp.com offers a secure, convenient way to access affordable online therapists from the comfort of your living room, office, or wherever you find yourself these days. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. So please, if you feel like you could benefit from this, check it out at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com and use discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L, to get 10% off your first month. Start living your best life and take charge of your mental health along with over 1 million other people. Again, that's betterhelp.com with discount code PORTAL. And we're back. So yeah, make sure to go check out the links below for better help and everything else into the portal. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get back into this here because we left off with Amber describing a Vegas-like atmosphere in this remote <laughs> uh, region of the former uh, Hussein's basically like a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lush tropical paradise. And that's how yep. Dennis, an Eden. De- an Eden. And mm-hmm. that's how Dennis described it in some sense too. Like, uh, you know, lots of palm groves essentially still still there despite obviously like bombing that had happened and a lot of lack of infrastructure so the question we're left with when we first had this you know account sent to us it's like oh my god like Mm -hmm. big bigfoot in the middle east like sasquatch in iraq that's bizarre a lot of Um, weird things come to mind because yeah like he said it it was distinctly human-like yeah but there's no way a human could do the things that he saw it do 
Right. And we can speculate on the behavioral things, right? It's like interested in a chem light, kind of stalking them, maybe watching them for a certain amount of time. But is that in a nefarious way or is it just in a like a weird primate curiosity Mm, kind of way? Like a childlike kind of like because it's very timid, right? It didn't try to attack them. It didn't really want to show itself. And it basically ran away as soon as it got what it wanted and just got the hell out of there. Right. Like, so that's weird to me. That almost reminds me of a crow where it's like they are like shiny and like they see something and they're just like, I need this. No, it's exactly like that. So obviously I tried really hard to find any sort of corroborating Sasquatch-like account or like bipedal hominid account in the area Mm -hmm. that could, you know, help us make sense of this in some way because that's kind of like what it sounds like, right? Like if this was Mm -hmm. anywhere else in the world and we were brought brought this this case, that's that's essentially what it sounds like to us, right? Mm -hmm. So... That was really hard to do. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now, right? Like that it's not exactly a location on Earth where we get a lot of those types of sightings, like Mm. large bipedal creatures. And even even Mark and Dennis, when we were like, you know, has other have other, you know, friends of yours, like in the military had similar encounters like this. And they said, not really, but like lots of other weird stuff, Mm -hmm. like lots of like weird, like haunting type things in the Mm -hmm. Middle East, like weird ghost sightings, like strange other things. Too. Definitely. Whether they're animalistic or something else, like it's weird, man. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so anywhere. Yeah, very unique in that sense. And yes. Yeah, of course, too. And I want to mention this was an, obviously an area that had an extensive period of conflict going on right. and is still very much in that sort of zone of, of the hotbed of like, you know, like yeah. international, whatever. But it, uh, it, a lot of information gets lost. So I'm saying like there could be like folklore, there could be stories that we just don't have access to because of A, they're not on the internet for us to see or they're not in English or, you know, there's a lot of different barriers to information. Sure, because we've latched on to certain things when it comes to like folklore from those regions, like, G, like you know, like the, the mm-hmm. Western rendition of a genie, which mm-hmm. actually does come up later in this episode in some, <laughs> in some ways, but not okay. exactly how I've stated it there. But the closest thing that I could find to some sort of a corroborating Bigfoot encounter. Like it did also have, I, I do have a, I do have an account, but it is quite a distance away, but also by American forces. There's creatures that do resemble what Dennis saw about 3000 kilometers away. Okay. Where there's creatures that are bipedal and very strange that exist in Afghanistan and also on the borders of Pakistan as well. So obviously this is a completely different continent. This is South Asia. This is not the Middle East, but Looking at it on a map, it's like, okay, it doesn't really look like maybe there's a mountain range for travel here, but it's definitely a lot of just random remoteness. And Mm -hmm. the account here also does sort of line up in some similar ways. Super, super modern as well. So I'm just going to go ahead and go through it here and then we can like draw draw black lines when we get to the end. (laughs) Okay. 2011, 26-year-old army sergeant is on duty. Okay. And in a very similar way, it's just sort of like posted at, you know, stationed with their brat and like on lookout duty in a very remote mountainous region of, Af- of Afghanistan and completely routine. They were out there basically like trying to spot an- any sort of Taliban activity. So everything was normal, except at one point gazing out super bored, like kind of like how Dennis described it, like, you know, like smoking and joking. Mm-hmm. This guy and his partner spotted the thermal image of a massive creature about 400 to 600 meters away. Hmm. The sergeant described it essentially as something ape-like, which is what we're sort of dealing with here. And, quote, beefy in the shoulders. So Beefy. <laughs> right? Okay. 
So obviously they weren't expecting this in any way, shape, or form, so he calls it in to fellow team members that were in the area to focus in on that direction as well. And apparently there were about five other team members that saw this creature at that time as well. Okay. Not sure at all what the hell they're looking at. Apparently this account actually lasted for about 10 to 15 minutes. So they're looking at this from a distance and it's just sort of like, I guess, doesn't realize that it's being observed hmm. in with like thermals and clearly much longer than the account we have with this first one, right? The reason they knew, though, that it was a massive man was the heat signature, right? So it was like, this guy's not wearing any clothing. So that kind of matches up because we have the size description from Dennis because of how tall it stood and it's pumping its arms with the chem light. So this thing stands up. It's not wearing any clothes at all. So they're like, holy shit, this is a massive, like, either naked guy, which is kind of scary in its own way. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, but obviously, like, you know, the coloration was just stark white on their on their thermals that's bizarre so hmm. so you mean yeah when you say stark white you mean like it's just shining really bright yeah because the heat signature the hotter it is the brighter it is i guess that kind of the idea? Like that's that's i'm picturing it in my head and i'm like that's yeah like it's just this big white outline there's not showing like oh okay you've got heat signatures on your hands and your head mm-hmm. i guess right mm-hmm. so hmm. they're thinking much too large to be a man and looked very ape-like again kind of like what dennis talked to talked about one of the soldiers even suggested at that time that maybe this is a gorilla that's ex- escaped from a zoo and wandered out into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Well, could this be? I mean, we've talked, we've had that suggested before, and that's definitely a theory with this first one. But whatever it was, it was extremely agile for its size, uh, much like the cliff scaling creature at Lake mm-hmm. Tartar, because this thing reportedly climbed up over a loose, loose uh, granite shale area that was extremely steep and did so in a split second with complete ease. So almost identical. Later Hmm. on, these soldiers were trying to make sense of what they saw, and they were talking to locals, and they were told that probably what they encountered was this thing called the Baramanau. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Baramanau, which is, we've read about this before, um, it's, yeah, it's it's essentially the Sasquatch-like creature of this area. It's a bipedal primate of some sort that roams the mountains of western Pakistan and Afghanistan and is known to be aggressive on certain occasions. Hmm. This is kind of far away but definitely has some parallels to what potentially dennis saw that evening that's really really intriguing is there like a specific sort of like like size for these barmanos i think it ranges i mean they're definitely on the bigger side they're, they're definitely not orang pendek that's for sure but I don't know if they're quite as small as like the Yaren in china obviously the further east we go it almost seems like the sasquatch the Sasquatch-like creatures get smaller with the exception of the Almas in some cases. They can be large, and that's the Siberian. Right, yeah. And there's versions of it out there, too. That isn't just that, but... But this is the close. That's the closest thing I could find geographically. Yeah, and, geogra- and like you said before, this is uh, thousands of uh, miles. Three thousand kilometers. Kilometers. Back <laughs> <Yeah>. forth <laughs> the feet and the meters there and all that. <laughs> <laughs> How many yeah. inches away? It was pretty How far away. Many inches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And obviously, yeah, we have to skip over Iran to get to uh, this area. <laughs> but yeah. it makes me wonder too if we looked hard enough if we could find some similar stories coming from the Iran uh, region as well. Yeah. That would kind of, you know, connect the dots, so to speak, over. Not to say that that has to be the case necessarily, you know, like it, it could be dependent because like you were saying, this was a mountainous area. Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming obviously there would be some foliage. Kind of does remind me of what we were looking at in those pictures from 
um, from even just like the Lake Tartar area, yeah. you know, where there is, uh, it, it is kind of mountainous. It's not like mountains, mountains in the sense that you're not looking at the Rockies. No, but, <laughs> but there are, hilly. there are some more, much more extreme mountain ranges that are close to so Lake Tartar though. Exactly. So it could be similar environment. And like you said, the behavior is very similar. Hey, yeah. the way you can scale, like, you know, like a very steep face shale too, like you'd be slipping and sliding. So you'd have to be very well adapted to that environment. Yeah. Uh, which either means that you're very light, which would not be a gorilla, because the gorillas are incredibly heavy and they would not be able to climb a shale, I would <laughs> <No>. imagine. <laughs> but then on the flip side, yeah, when you're talking about the original account um, that we were told, yes. the Tharthar Dam account, again, right, it's like this scalability. It doesn't remind me of a gorilla. That doesn't no. sound gorilla-like to me, because no. gorillas do... They're actually, they're they're on the ground. They're not really like, you know, like swinging around the trees or anything like that. That's what I'm picturing, something swinging, swinging, using its hands and using whatever. But again, this is me just using my imagination. (laughs) But this wasn't the only account that we had. There are other strange happenings going on in this region of the world, I guess I'll say. This one is, this is more specific to, mm. to the actual area of Iraq, obviously. Like, that, I just drifted us 3,000 kilometers away. This next strange <laughs> happening is bringing it, it back close to home. It's in northeast Iraq, so yeah. in the Kurdistan sort of region. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a secondhand account, but of course, we'll, we'll share this anyway because it is relevant. And it happened shortly after the first account. So this was a man that was stationed in and out of Iraq between the years of 2004 and 2009. And he was stationed in the mountainous region, like we said, of... I'm not even going to try to pronounce Hold that. Hold on, let me give it a try. Suyamania. Okay, yeah, that's... Yeah, no. no, that was totally bad. Well, no, no, I, I mean, I'm not even going to try. I mean, I, I can't do any better. <laughs> so, just no. not happening. No. But it is in northeast Iraq, and it is in the Kurdistan sort of area. Right, so this is the anonymous account. It goes as follows. We started the investigation by reading reports that came from a few local villagers and Kurdish military called the Peshmerga who stated that people were being hunted in the mountains by some kind of unknown creature. Getting a little bit more aggressive here with this case than the Mm -hmm. last one. So the locals in the area described this as a ghoul. More on that in a hot sack. But most had never actually seen whatever this was. But it was described by those who had seen it as a tall, man-like creature with extremely long arms and legs who apparently needed to feed on human flesh. The U.S. Army source that we're talking about here didn't think much of this at all, obviously. I mean, you're just going to hear this and think this is crazy wild folklore tales in the mountains, right? But then a few days later, this unknown source that was stationed there working as a Army criminal investigator, so a CID, went back to the location where these reports were coming from. And the consensus was that this must be likely some sort of a soldier that left his post and gone AWOL. And this is obviously just as scary in some ways, because if you have an AWOL soldier that's indiscriminately killing non-combatants, mm-hmm. that's pretty spooky. But yeah. it's it, it, that's in its own way, like a phantom bipedal monster for sure. Hmm. But that's not really the vibe that he was getting from the locals. It was something else. So after a few days of surveillance and searching... This, this is the quote continuing on here. After a few days of surveillance and searching, we had no clue of what we were dealing with. If this was indeed a soldier or other civilian man, we would have seen him or gathered some evidence. I was starting to believe that this thing was a wild, this was a wild goose chase, but the villagers were animate that there was something there, that there was something hunting them. They were genuinely terrified of something. So here's the rest of what he had to say, and this was actually pulled from Phantoms and Monsters, a report from uh, Lon Strickler, who's written a bunch of paranormal books and, and done a lot of investigations like this. 
One evening, the squad leader and I were going over a report when we were alarmed by a god-awful scream that came from the direction of a mountain pass that we had just searched a few hours before. A few local people who had been outside quickly made their way home. It was obvious that they had heard this scream before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Within the hour, the squad and I were slowly entering the pass. It was night, but the moon was very bright, so we were able to see around a bit. We searched the entire area for several hours using night vision and highly intense, high-intensity lights, but found nothing. Not a footprint or remnant from any creature fitting the description. He finishes off by saying, I've always wondered what we heard that night. I've asked a few learned people for their opinion, but with little satisfaction. There were many strange instances in Iraq that just never made the light of day. I heard of some, but I'm positive most were just filed away. Oh, weird. And that, I wanted to share that one, obviously, because it is still something bipedal and obviously operating in a strange way. This is in a close location geographically, like comparatively to the last report anyway, to Dennis's account. But it's also just something that's sort of like, you know, he meant things don't get mentioned. You know, like Mm -hmm. we asked them how many other people maybe had experiences like him and they had a handful of friends or colleagues with some spooky kind of things. But overall, I think the consensus is that most of this just gets filed away. It gets filed away or people go home and forget about it, right? Because they don't want to believe it's true. That's really creepy, the idea that, like, this really actually does fit the description of what Dennis provided, right? Because he said it was tall and it it, it was like a man-like creature with long, I'm thinking here, like with long arms and legs, like... You know what I mean? Like, that thing's perfect for scaling sheer cliff faces, right. things like that. Like, you know, it would be super athletic. It would be lean. I'm and picturing, like, a slender man, like, tick, tick, like, that's like exactly. spider leg crawling oh, up a, up a so cliff creepy. face, right? Like, almost like those, what am I picturing in my head? It's, like, kind of, like, hereditary when she's, like, on the roof, like, you know, like, oh. running around. Like, she's almost like a spider on the roof. Oh, and yeah. it's, like, oh. it's so creepy. You're, yes. like, the girl from the ring or something. Absolutely. Like, that kind of shit. Like, that's, like... Next level. Well, me. that's a Just, perfect segue because that's essentially the, I mean, let's come back to the notion of a ghoul mm-hmm. because, you what know, most, is a ghoul? what is it? Right. I mean, most of us are familiar with the term, but it's usually applied to ha- mm. Halloween costumes and like a spec, you know, a, the classic yeah. ghoul ghosts and figure. ghouls. Mm-hmm. You know, actually I am reminded of this now. I didn't think of it at the time, but one of the earliest Mesopotamian like demons is Bugool. That was mm-hmm. the character from the yeah. Sinister movies, which would be based out of this. This is the er- same area of the world. But essentially a mm-hmm. ghoul is this devilish kind of genie, if we're talking about it in Western terms, that, you know, is, is, is believed to exist in all sorts of different areas throughout the Middle East in different forms. It's a shapeshifter of sorts. It's almost like a, I don't even know. I mean, similar to like, not a Wendigo, but like a, sh- a shapeshifter. A, oh, a, a, a skinwalker. Almost, in a way. Mm -hmm. And throughout different historical and religious periods, the character of the ghoul has remained the same, but has typically been represented as like an ugly human-like monster. Ooh, yeah, okay. And they hid out in the remote desert locations, super secluded locations, possibly hiding in the mountains. And one of their modus operandi was to trick to to delude travelers Mm. by perhaps lighting a fire and thus leading them astray. Or maybe in some cases the creature would have 
I'm thinking almost like the crying baby in the woods trick, right? It's yeah. trying to beckon out its... Kind of Wendigo-esque. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like yeah. using tropes and things that would, like, make people feel like they're going to things of safety. Like, oh, there's a camp over there. Let's go and, like, you know, like, right. commune with other human beings. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, no, never mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Things like that, yeah. Now, the thing is, though, as far as, like, being a... Uh, feeding off human flesh and stuff like that some of that is like western embellishment over the years so Mm -hmm. there was early french translations of certain things like arabian knights translated into french where they added a little bit of more fearful characteristics to the ghoul to intensify it Mm. but it still was drawing off of very real things that that there what is this belief that there are these creatures that live in the desert essentially are they literally there physically or are they sort of of the land Mm -hmm. um that's 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 a conversation for another day yeah that kind of reminds me again of the skinwalker right where it is tied to specific areas and is spiritual to a certain degree kind of ephemeral in that regard but also very flesh and bone to 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 the people that witness it too yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean so it is sort of unfortunate in a way well not unfortunate not for those encountering the ghoul um but that there's no like arabic sources that are really tying back to something super aggressive but then again if we're trying to make sense of this account like this first account sent to us Mm -hmm. this wasn't an aggressive this nothing aggressive happened this was just a very strange thing with a strange entity so that actually matches up with the early descriptions of like the arabic spirit desert spirit it's not out there to actually like draw denison and his partner out to try to eat them but it's just there um i guess that's actually an interesting point because like in my mind i always go back to like okay if this is like a flesh and blood animal or creature of some kind what is the real enticement for the chem light? Is it right. that childlike and that, like I was saying before, like a crow where it just sees something shiny and mm-hmm. needs it? Or does it actually, is it exactly that? Like, is it trying to draw them into the woods, draw them away, draw them towards something? Because they're... That's the, that's, the, that's the connection to the lighting of the fire with the story of the ghouls, that's right? That's exactly what I'm thinking too. Like, yeah, it's, it's a chase game and... This gets into a bit of what Dennis and Mark's personal theories on this matter are. Yeah. Because um, he actually included, when we talked to him, he got into it a little bit further. And he includes it in a little theory section that they added to the end of the story. Mm -hmm. But there was this other colleague of theirs that had reported seeing a group of, like, jackals or coyotes, like the local, like, wild dogs... Mm -hmm. That he saw go into the woods while he was stationed at his guard position. And he heard... Okay, so I think he said there was four of them that went in. Yeah. And then he heard something happen. Like, like the death circumstances. Like a, yeah. a dying coyote, a dying dog basically being attacked. Right. A vicious attack. Yes. And then basically these dogs, which were very timid, which would normally go the opposite way if they saw any of this, you know, any of the yeah. U.S patrol or anything like that they would go the opposite way basically these things just hightailed it directly towards the soldier right right past and through and there was only three of them so something really had to spook them and Mm -hmm. the thing is is there's not and obviously one of them didn't get away that too there was four and then there was three (laughs) which is key that's definitely key absolutely and they, they were just like not going there. No. No. <laughs> no, no. Ab- no, yeah, that's what he said. He's like, nor- like in other circumstance, they might go check it out. Not that. Not happening. No. Be- and and a lot of it has to do with, with the beliefs. And that's the thing. Once you're there, you know, they, these two guys, are amazing guys, I, they were so fun to talk to and so 
just genuine and everything. Very they genuine, say. yeah. And but I can, you know, they they described other people being there too, and I'm thinking of some of their colleagues that maybe had accounts that were like, you know, more spectral or whatever. It's like when you're in the desert or when you're there and you're actually stationed there for an extended period of time, you're going to start to notice things mm. that are different than if you're just passing through, and that's where these beliefs actually like that's where you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. To things that may or may not actually be real. You know, mm -hmm. what, I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. And when you are in a different environment too, you are generally, because it's not your routine, your brain is picking up on more stimulus than it normally would. Totally. And so you do, yeah, you do take more cues than say you're just going from your usual route from the front of your door to your bus route onto the bus or to work or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you literally ignore 90% of the stimulus around you. Right. With, when, in, when you're in a new environment, you are hypersensitive and hyper aware to stuff. Yeah. And that's actually, yeah, that's a good point to make. I will say as well that there's nothing, like Dennis made a point of saying this too, like there's nothing big out there that mm -hmm. could have, this could have been either where it's like. Yeah, like the dogs are the biggest thing. Yeah, like it's like, you know, like un unless there's an escaped lion or something, which is like <laughs> kind of segueing into a few things we'll talk yeah. about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I, that's, that's kind of all I have to say on that. But clearly there was something out there in that, yeah. in that instance that was messing around mm -hmm. and i will say too just even add to the idea of like when you're in this you know you're in a totally foreign place a totally foreign environment and obviously this is a place of warfare so you're already on hyper alert hyper guard whatever like you know what i mean mm. um but like dennis said so he kind of described how he was situated in baghdad like in the heart of it like during the yeah. the bombing of baghdad i think he said that or he was there in, like, the hot zone. And I remember him telling us, like, there was a reporter that came up to him and was like, how do you feel being in the most dangerous place in the world right now? And he's like, are what, really? Okay. Like, are we? Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay, fine. So he was actually quite glad to get to this new compound, to mm -hmm. the dam. Yeah. And as soon as this happened to him, he said it was ruined for him. Yeah. Like, he was totally ill at ease. Like, he did not. Because when something like that happens to you and it's that unexplainable... Yeah. your world is kind of shaken and so yeah. for him he was just he couldn't find that restfulness it was almost like you're just constantly almost like just thinking like what if this happens again or like yeah what and, and something this, else like, and this know, like, isn't like and this isn't you know sally sue walking out on her front porch in the adirondacks and seeing a bigfoot and getting spooked like this is a guy who's like going mm -hmm. into kicking down doors and going into like war zones and yeah. and, and like not scared of a lot of stuff they had already and yeah like they'd already seen action they'd like, already like you know seen combat and right like, and, 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 and 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 i think the thing about it too is like it's the uncanny like we we mentioned mm. that that word came up in our discussion as mm -hmm. well where it was like you know it, there, there wasn't an attack there wasn't anything directly threatening but like that in and of itself is like almost just as just as spooky when you're being attacked you kind of know what you're dealing with you can have you, you like you know right? It's like, yeah. that could be a giant squid-like monster. It could be anything. It's attacking me. It doesn't matter. I have to deal <laughs> with it. But when something's just watching you and you don't know for how long, and then you mm. see a hand and you're like, that's human, but I can't make sense of that. Yep. And then you can't make sense of the behavior too, the right. action itself. Like what was the purpose of that? And then your mind just goes down a million different rabbit holes, just like our minds are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, first things first, true flesh and blood animal yeah okay let's get into that because like as dennis and mark kind of this was from mark's perspective when he said like as to what their theories on this thing was um they maybe thought 
perhaps because this area used to be a resort for the Husseins, it might have been possible that Uday, like he was reported to have a small zoo, which I have other um, other examples of that too in the actual capital, but it was possible that it could have been perhaps a pet monkey or some type of ape that had escaped during the bombing or looting. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is interesting. So let's get into that. So you you had put in a note here that, yeah, the Baghdad Zoo was closed, and this was obviously following the Battle of Baghdad and the bombings yeah. that decimated yeah. it. This is really sad, but basically the entire population of animals, which yeah. some people might think, oh, they were bombed, but they were starving to death because they were the zookeepers couldn't feed them and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, so they are back and running again. There's up, there's over a thousand animals in the zoo of Baghdad, which is located mm. in a park. Mm. Um, but basically, yeah, so this housed many exotic animals. Uh, a Reuters magazine article states that the collection included lions, tigers, monkeys, ostriches, etc. The entire animal kingdom. So the gambit, be, sure. Yeah. And I actually did come across this one really dramatic story um, of the bombing that came from this guy. He was a South African guy. He's a conservationist. And he actually went in to rescue um, lions, among other animals of the uh, zoo. But basically, he had this one account of rescuing starving lions out of an enclosure that was in the palace of one of the many palaces of Uday that was located in central Baghdad, right, right. beside the zoo. Yeah. So to me, this demonstrates that Uday would probably have had exotic animals in most of his luxury palaces, yeah. including most likely the Green Palace. Because I'm thinking again, this is the Garden of Eden. It's like a Mecca. And I'm thinking this is probably a very suitable place to have a collection of animals. Like, you know what I mean? And, and it's not just zoo. It's not just animals in the zoo. It's like, here's here's a lion off of one of the master bedrooms of a, this VIP chalet mm, over here. Exactly. Here's an ostrich pen. Like, in your yeah. suite, you yeah. have a den of lions or something or a pool of piranhas or who right. knows what the hell he would have. Because this guy was just prone to... He didn't have a lot of self-control. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yes, an understatement. <laughs> Let's just make it simple. Sure. But... I have this thought because like Dennis said, he was like, okay, this place was completely destroyed by the time we got here. Mm -hmm. Every single building, because it was one of these targets, right, of the airstrikes, it was completely destroyed. Yeah. In my mind, if you think about it, if there was a larger primate or some sort of bipedal-like creature that was in this area, it would have a much better chance of escaping death versus other animals sure because it has it has the dexterous abilities right it has yeah. arms and hands it can dig itself out it can do right. all sorts of different things or escape in other ways sure it would have the intelligence even per, to pick a lock perhaps you know what i Possibly. mean if it was trained so i'm thinking like you know like it, as the baghdad <laughs> zoo example demonstrates there were animals that were able to destroy, to survive and they were mostly the larger ones right so what we're left with of course is the fact that we are the only true bipedal, like... What do you mean? Like, of, of the apes? Of, of okay. the, right, so you're the, thinking, so, like... Because obviously, we, we in the account, we have this thing. Crashing through the trees. Light, crashing through the trees. That running bipedally. Yeah. The running bipedally is So the you think part, it's right? unlikely that it's just a, a straight-up monkey? Well, yeah, because we don't have the ambling. You know, we don't have the, the run... The, the, they're quadrupeds, right? I they guess. can walk bipedally. They but can they, run. Like, I'm thinking lemurs, they can run. Yeah, but they're running on fours. They're not running. But mm-hmm. they're, 
they are not sprinting. They are not sprinting like this, like they a man. They use their tail. And also, lemurs are very small. <laughs> they can seem big. Okay, <laughs> okay Joe Nickel. Yeah, when you add the tail, you have like come a... Come on, Zabumafu, ha- like, come on. <laughs> okay, that's your theory. It was I'm, No, I'm not. That is not my pet theory. We're just going for the most mundane up to the most exciting. No, absolutely. Here. And no, you're right, because that is, that, that's the so easiest So could we be dealing go. with an escape primates of sorts is the question sure. here. And of course, like, we've already kind of blown that out well no but yeah no but but no that you but you teed up the next part though because it's like what else would they possibly had as pets dun, 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 yeah right? exactly. something more exotic perhaps. and it's not crazy it's not completely crazy either because like when we i'm reminded of you know some of our early uh, accounts from our sasquatch s- series and of course the earliest newspaper accounts like in the u.s from like the 18 1800s of these before it was even called of course bigfoot or sasquatch they were just hairy eight men hairy wild men right Mm -hmm. uh but that was often the theory it was that that made the most sense it has to be an escaped chimpanzee from some Mm. of the one of these traveling circuses or traveling zoos Mm -hmm. and 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 that likely happened like i mean you know these these types of primates are aggressive and they would you know (laughs) you brought that up yes amber brought up a chimpanzee attack what what monster quest if anyone wants to be completely just horrified horrified just i actually had like a 5 a.m recollection of that episode and it completely terrified the shit out of me so anyways never make friends with chimpanzees (laughs) (laughs) never never (laughs) but like okay so let me just jump straight into the woo woo crazy stuff then because if we're not because i don't think this was an escaped ape or chimp it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make sense i don't think it adds up no but but the question is because obviously you were describing Uday and you're describing the the extravagance of the, yes. the layout of all this. He was a collector, a collector, mm-hmm. and we know that most of these global dictators and oligarchs and madmen, mm-hmm. I will call them, yep. like to have strange. They have strange hobbies. Yeah, and whether it, it's finding unicorns or yeah, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's not claiming just, to exa- <laughs> exactly. It's not just collecting lions or whatever. So. My pet theory with this is that perhaps this collection went a little bit more exotic, right? And I mentioned the creature in the mountains of Af- Af- of Afghanistan, the Barmano. Perhaps some type of creature like this had been mm-hmm. was was a pet was yeah. essentially captured and 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 kept. And why on earth would they reveal it to the rest of the scientific community to to let the the west latch on to some sort of research or mm-hmm. god knows whatever right from this from Uday's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little crazy. But they yes. had relationships with the types of states that would that do have these types of creatures in them, like the Almas mm-hmm. in Russia. Yeah. Or the Imagine going on to the ultimate exotic hunting trip. And coming home right? with that, yeah. It, that, yeah. He was a fisher. He was a collector. He had over. He had thousands of cars, apparently. Yeah. Hundreds of cars in his collection. Right. You know, like the alternative, though, to segue into your little section here, is something even more sadistic and messed yeah. up. Yeah, because if you read anything about Uday, and I'm not an expert by any means, but I did read a few articles in preparation of this. Including one by a French woman who spent a night with it. Anyway, that was a really weird one. <laughs> that but got strange, yeah. Yeah, that got really strange. But anyways, yeah, Uday was vicious. He was a sadist and uh, probably, well, I don't know. He was, he was at least a, a sociopath, probably a psychopath. But <laughs> anyways, he, I honestly wouldn't have put it past him to have kept human pets. And I say that in a very right. weird way because it's like, it obviously, 
connotates some sort of dehumanization to a degree where they would have been unrecognizable. They might have been able to escape during the bombings. But again, we get run into problems with this because of the fact that this thing that Dennis saw was exhibiting like superhuman abilities. So then I go to the idea of like even more conspiratorial, like what if we're talking about superhuman hybrids that are like these super soldiers, very similar to the idea <laughs> that, you know, with the Stalin like super the soldiers. Like human hybrid exactly, soldiers. Or, yeah. Exactly. Very, very similar to that. And like, these are actual documents that have been pulled up. These are historical documents. Stalin did actually order. I think his it. name was Ilyanov or something. And he was um, a world-class like horse breeder. And he turned <laughs> him on to trying to create soldiers that were impenetrable for any like weather condition, didn't give a shit about what they ate, yeah. had human, superhuman strength and all these sure. other things. And uh, th- my idea was like, what if these compounds, these many, many compounds existing across the country of Iraq were actually houses, experimentation houses for not only weapons of mass destruction, perhaps, which obviously, anyway, that's a whole other different nugget. Sure. But what if there was other sinister... Like DNA, like hybrid genetics crossings and so things like that. So we've got a mutant on our hands we've here. We've got a mutant, which it would be so freaky because could you imagine that getting bombed and then that thing escaping? Ooh. So that's okay. my ultimate conspiratorial, like, woo-woo and theory like, And, like, a mutant doesn't know what's going on or what to do and is just going at the chem light for whatever. Because yeah. that's the other thing, too. I mean, I don't it's know if we emphasize the idea that it, it, it was essentially low crawling in, right? I mean, it crawls in trying to be discreet. Kind of like a soldier. Kind of like, yeah, that's more mm-hmm. human-like, I guess. Gra- grabs the chem light and then is up, like, booking it. Yeah. As if that's its prize, like mm-hmm. you said, like a crow. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, it was already dimming by that point, like mm-hmm. Dennis said. It was, like, half its strength at best. Why? Why? <laughs> Either to entice them out or because it saw a purpose in the chem light that it needed. Maybe it needed some kind of light in its environment and didn't realize that the chem light was only temporary. Or that there was someone there. Water. Yeah, no, but it's... It was very aware of them, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was definitely aware of them. Mm-hmm. It was being very That's careful. That's the creepiest part about this, right? Yeah. And I keep going back to the, just the idea of seeing that, right? Seeing something disappear off of what you know is a drop, like a yeah. sheer cliff, and then... Yeah totally just you know he he was in the realm of possibilities right he just thought it was someone that fell and he was gonna he was trying to rationalize how to radio it in yeah when all of a sudden this thing's doing other stuff that is completely irrational right and just defying all expectations or odds of survival yeah so that to me is just incredible and again speaks to the idea of like some sort of insane hybrid creature it does because it like as much as i well, I don't want to believe that De- that Dennis was was in any danger of being eaten alive in the desert by a ghoul, but I but I do like the idea of it of of, of it matching up with that mm-hmm. the notion of 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 using some sort of a light source to draw like to to mm-hmm. beckon to to as a de- you know he used the term decoy too obviously that's more of like a literal term mm-hmm. but if it's kind of the same idea right um, what if oh. Oh, like a decoy as if it's trying to draw the attention away of for the people, like, you know, because it's drawing them towards the back of their watch, right? Yeah. So it's trying to draw them away from where they're supposed to be watching. So is that all a distraction for something else more nefarious that was supposed to take place? Yeah. Maybe. And it didn't. they didn't fall for it, perhaps. That's actually interesting. Like that, that's, that's the not, maybe a sort of... It's more mundane. Slightly it's not non-paranormal as, yeah. version, but then it's like... It does make sense. It's like ballsy mm-hmm. and like what was your plan if that was your plan or are you just winging it yeah. just 
pissing into the wind. Like, what if, just like because it was in the early days of of the everything. What if it was literally someone that was like they left something of significance in that compound and they needed to go get it. And they were like, how the hell are we going to do this? And so they basically created this really crafty plan. But why would the whole, why would they be scaling the other side too? Like, yeah, the just, superhuman abilities are then something we are ignoring we in the rest of this account, right? I know. Yeah, we always get, that's something that you get hung up on. So we're, we're coming down to the end here, folks. And with this one, you know, you know, it's... The, not as much to go on, obviously, as some no. of our other our other stories and our other accounts. We're really keen to hear some suggestions and ideas and theories from all of you listening out there. I think if I was to try to, I mean, I'm going to end up going more the way Andrew normally does. And yes, I refer to myself in the third person on into the portal. <laughs> uh, but the trees were gone. We talked to Dennis and Mark about this. The, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the deforestation after the fact, they were like, this was so mm. lush when we were there. And now so you look green. at it on, on Google Earth. Nothing. And, it, and there's nothing. It's just dirt. There's, a prece- there's precedence through this throughout the war and through early, early era of Saddam's re- regime. He was draining um, fertile, rich marshland in other areas of the country to kind of, I, I believe it was to flush out like re- early rebel mm. groups or something mm-hmm. like that. Was that, some, was that the case in this type of location as well because it's not exactly it could have been ecological warfare like uh u.s coalition forces could have conducted something like that to flush out because now they're dealing with isis in the area sure so this could have been something to just help them because obviously they want to have the visuals from above so they don't want to have extra foliage and things like that. absolutely and like my point is that there was already like you know whether it was lush and vast or whatever it's not it's not the pacific northwest it was already a (laughs) small area for something to be hiding it's only water source if we're believing it to be some sort of flesh and blood creature as a man-made local lake in a very remote region then there's the mountainous region however many hundreds of kilometers to the to the east well Uh, like there's not a lot of places to live is what i'm is what i'm getting at here i'm actually have a whole brand new nugget coming to me right right now and this is into the portal and this is fresh um (laughs) because dennis never said anything about fur he never said he could see any detail beyond the four fingers grabbing around the light source the chem light and in my mind i'm thinking what if we're dealing with a semi-aquatic creature what if we're dealing with something that's almost like... It went back into the lake. Because it's this is a very unique area. This is a man-made lake. The soldiers were told not to swim in this lake. Mm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Is there something going on? Is there radioactivity? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about... What was that account Thetis from? Lake. Thetis Lake Monster. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking of it's right bipedal. now. It's bipedal. It's walking out of the water. That thing could have had gills. Who knows? I don't know. It's too dark. Anyways, yeah. this no. is, that's, that's like me going... <laughs> Totally no, next level. I love it though, and I'm so <laughs> glad you you mentioned it before we finished off because you're right. There wasn't distinctive hair. There wasn't distinctive broad shoulders like it was described with the the Barmanow in Afghanistan from U.S. troops there. Mm-hmm. But it was still clearly. But it was a large black hand, is what he said. Like it was so dark, it just looked like just jet black mm-hmm. and large. So it could have been so something that been was hairy, like eel-like. Could have been scaly. Could have been eel-like. Mm. It could have been a few different things. Could have been anything. But we really appreciate this story. Yes. Like this, absolutely. this account. It's I, not a story. It's an account. It's, it's an not, account. It happened to absolutely. Dennis and his, and his witness, his yeah. partner. So you finishing off with that as your theory? Because I think I was leaning a little bit more towards the, the spectral ghoul-like by, uh, humanoid entity mm-hmm. where it was watching and maybe trying to do what it typically has done for, for millennium upon millennium but wasn't able to quite do so yeah um i think that's definitely quite because even if it has to survive off of flesh and blood of humans then 
quite easily it can grab something. It's not that spectral. It's not that like you know like sure because <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert on those things no no <laughs> and there's a there, and, and honestly guys there's rabbit again like every episode there's so many rabbit holes to go down and we'll be visiting the mountainous regions of afghanistan again for an episode and we will be talking about other things in the desert in the future afghanistan you mean iraq yes no i, I mean afghanistan oh. because <laughs> okay. i looked oh, into it for the, the... barmanow and there was just so much over there <laughs> i was like hey well yeah we're gonna have to touch on that eventually <laughs> time for amber to stop talking <laughs> time for yeah so yeah no thank you guys so much for listening Listening. Thank you so much to Mark and Dennis again for reaching out with this account. We really appreciate it, and mm-hmm. um, just it, it's an honor that we can really um, can, we can share it because um, yeah, we just it, it's 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 really cool. This really series cool has gone further than we ever thought it would, and yeah. this just speaks to why we do the show. Like, Absolutely, you know? and why we do, it's not a show. It's it's us. This is us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you guys do get a lot of raw Amber and Adger on on the show for sure, and that's what we like about it. I mean, this is. It's it's fun. It's also our our desired career path to be these re- researchers and and entertainers for you guys. So before we go, we wanted to give a massive shout out and thank you to our Patreon supporters and our producers on mm-hmm. Patreon: Nightwing, Ka-ka! Adam Kellums, and uh, Stanley C over in uh, South Africa. So thank you all so much. We couldn't do this without you. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we had some new patrons as well too. Uh, I can't oh, like, off man. the top of my head. I mean, like we got the Jays, the Jays, Jimmy. We got the Jeff, J- Jimmy, Jeff. And we got, we got <laughs> Caitlin. We got Bruce. We got so many people. Yeah, That's and if amazing. we miss you, we'll make sure we, we get you a Megan. shout out on the next one. Yeah. And uh, if you guys want to check us out on Patreon, the link is below. But as always, thank you so much for listening to Into the Portal, your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.